As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to another edition of the Pug and Cop Boxing Show. This is Mike Coppinger alongside Lance Pugmire of The Athletic. Big show for you guys. We have Joe Smith Jr., light heavyweight contender, joining the show to discuss his Saturday title fight against Maxime Vlasov. That's going to be on ESPN. And then we're going to introduce a new segment, Mailbag Questions. We're going to get to all of your hot, burning questions from the from Twitter. And we're also going to break down the light heavyweight landscape. So if you haven't already, please like, subscribe, rate, review. And now, let's get into the show. Let's get ready to podcast! If you're going to go stick your head in the sand like that, get out of the sport. Mike Coppinger. It's creating a huge mess. It's absurd. No, you're wrong. So, this, the only, it seems the like only a cash grab. You need to turn up and you need to be on it. We just started going at it. You gotta go eat. The Pug and Cop Boxing Show on The Athletic. Lance, I'm really excited for this fight on Saturday. We already spoke to Joe, Jojo Diaz um, the other day about his fight on The Zone. And that's a really good card. But also a really nice fight on ESPN. Joe Smith Jr., one of the biggest punchers in boxing, a great action fighter, fighting Maxime Vlasov, former cruiserweight title challenger, moving down to light heavyweight now. Big guy, obviously. And um, I think it's going to be a really good fight. And it has big time implications, obviously, with a vacant title on the line. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. I mean, this is the uh, WBO belt that was vacated by Canelo Alvarez after his victory over Sergey Kovalev. And, you know, look, I can't think of it. It's it's kind of funny. You've got the, you know, the king of the sport, basically, Canelo Alvarez, uh, yielding that belt to one of the sport's greatest self-made men. I mean, Joe Smith Jr., the former construction worker who has worked so diligently in the gym to, you know, increase his power, to, you know, figure out his boxing and become this fighter who's now on the brink against Vlasov of, of becoming a world champion. And, and I think he's a, a, a favorite to do so, Mike. So, you know, look, it's, a, it's one of those human interest stories that I know I love reporting out. And Joe Smith Jr. is like, you know, a human interest personified. Uh, everything that he brings, I mean, I, I think I, I look back, I reflect back to that fight not too long ago against uh, um, Jesse Hart, where I felt like it was just there for the taking that that Jesse Hart would move on and Joe Smith Jr. on the heels of losing to Dimitri Bivol would be set aside and, you know, go back to the uh, construction site. But that has not been the case. I mean, this guy has developed his skills. And now we've got uh, what I think, like you said, in addition to that DAZN card, 
a very interesting main event on ESPN. So it's a, it's a great weekend for boxing, no doubt about it. Lance, you're absolutely right. You know, Joe Smith is a favorite for once. This is something he's probably not used to. Been an underdog in a lot of fights. He is minus 335 and Maxime Vlasov is plus 280. All odds, of course, presented by BetMGM, sponsor of the Pug and Cop Boxing Show. And then we have the over-under, which I like a lot. That's 10.5 minus 150. I'm going to go under on this fight because Joe Smith, obviously, is a big puncher. You know Vlasov is hard to hit, but, you know, I, th- I think that's good value there. And um, Joe Smith, I like him in this fight, but, man, minus 335. Uh, may want to throw a flyer on Vlasov at that. I mean, this is a, Vlasov's a capable guy. Beat Isaac Chalemba. Uh, had a good fight with Glowacki at cruiserweight. Obviously going to be the bigger fighter here. And Joe Smith is a guy that likes to be the bully in there. Although he did show off underrated boxing skills in his career best performance last summer against the leader Alvarez. What do you think, Lance? I actually like Joe Smith Jr. to bet, Mike. I mean, this is uh, basically you'd be uh, betting about $1,000 to win 300 Look, I like Joe Smith in this fight. Just the way his his skills continue to improve the power that we're seeing. And I know he's dealing with a naturally bigger guy, but I believe this guy is a a man who's determined to, to become a world champion. And, you know, I agree with you. I even agree with you on the point that I like the under. I like Joe Smith by knockout, and I think he's going to stop him around the eighth round, Mike. That's what I'm going to, my my pick would be. So okay. I'll take a flyer on those two bets. I would do it separately. I would not parlay it and um, uh, put the entire bank on Joe Smith Jr. Say, go get him, Joe. I, I agree. I think it's Joe Smith's time. I think he's going to win. Uh, I just thought the odds scare me a little bit. I think it should be a, maybe a little lower, but uh, maybe the line moves. We'll see between now and fight night. And then uh, co-feature, we have the returning Richard Comey against Jackson Moranez. Uh Richard Comey, obviously, this is going to be his first fight since that devastating second-round knockout loss to Tiafimo Lopez, and that's when it was clear the takeover was real. So Comey, I think he's still a player at 135 pounds, but he's going to have to win on Saturday, obviously. Yeah, I mean, and look, there's so many guys for him to be fighting. I mean, a victory will uh, just be a substantial event for him because uh, with this division being so deep, he can definitely be someone that any of those guys can call upon if they want a former champion uh, to get in the ring with and to to you know get get some more you know action in and to stay busy as a as a bigger fight looms. Yeah, and speaking of 135 pounds, um, I'm I'm hearing that it's possible. We could get a pair of fights uh, that I think are pretty interesting in the spring. It's possible we'll get Devin Haney against Jorge Linares on Ooh. April 17th. That's a fight being discussed right now, I'm told. And then the other fight being discussed is Ryan Garcia against Javier Fortuna, uh, which would also be a good test. Um, Fortuna and Linares are, are real contenders. They were actually supposed to fight in August before the fight got canceled because of the pandemic. So, um, those you know, these fights are not done. These are just being talked about, but... It seems to me, Lance, that this Ryan Garcia-Manny Pacquiao fantasy fight is all but dead. Because now I'm hearing that Manny Pacquiao and Mikey Garcia are in talks. So, you know, as you know, it's very hard to keep track of who's in charge of Manny Pacquiao. You know, there's like four different people who think they're in charge. But it seems right now like it's trending at least toward a possible Manny Pacquiao-Mikey Garcia fight, which would be no surprise to me and you. We know that they already had a verbal for last year. They were supposed to fight, I think it was July 11th in Saudi Arabia. And now the fight's being revisited. So we'll see what happens there. 
I like that fight a lot, Mike. I mean, obviously, Mikey Garcia has longed to fight Manny Pacquiao. So you'll have this uh, a matchup of a four-division world champion in Mikey Garcia against an eight-division world champion in, in Manny Pacquiao. And look, I think it's a I think it's a damn good fight. I, I mean, right now, if you ask me who's going to win that fight, I, I find it in my mind it, it, tough to, to select a winner uh, off the top of my head. I think that, you know, Mikey Garcia looked uh, pretty good last time out. Obviously, Manny Pacquiao... Uh, looked very good against Keith Thurman. I think the concern for both of these guys is rust. You know, how much has uh, rust uh, affected them? And whoever probably has bothered less is probably who's going to prevail in the fight. But, I mean, these two guys getting together, it's kind of like long overdue, and I'm I'm really looking forward to to seeing it. I, I, like, it. I like it more than the Manny Pacquiao-Ryan Garcia fight. I mean, Ryan Garcia... And, uh, you know, Devin Haney taking down these guys that, you know, they're not fighting each other. They're not the four horsemen aren't fighting each other, so to speak. But I think that there can be some patience with that process. I mean, these guys are still uh, on this collision course that looms. Don't you think, Mike? Totally. I'm totally. If we get all three of those fights, I'm very happy. I think there are three legit fights. And Manny Pacquiao, I think the big question for me is this guy is now only is he now 43 but that, that Keith Thurman fight, by the time they would have fought, you know, assuming Pac- Pacquiao, Mikey Garcia, if it happens, would be in the summer. That would be two years since that Pacquiao-Thurman fight. I mean, he has to get hold at some point. So who knows? Yeah. And look, I, I think that, you know, Mikey Garcia's vision with, you know, calling out Manny Pacquiao as he did so many years ago was to use the Manny Pacquiao brand to elevate his own. And I clearly... You know, Mikey Garcia being connected to another big fight after being, you know, um, there with Errol Spence Jr., but losing that fight. Now this is a fight he can win. And now this is a fight where, you know, you can have Manny maybe say, like, I'm out. You know, Mikey Garcia is the next great thing. And then the the world is is Mikey Garcia's to take from this uh, this point forward. I think the, uh, like I said, for, for both of these guys, the biggest question that looms with me is just like this effective layoff. It seems like it's been so long since uh, we've seen Mikey Garcia in the ring, and it's been so long since we've even seen him in the gym. Um, how is he? How is he going to fare in this fight? And does he have that desire and passion after a couple big paydays to continue to continue rolling? and uh, participate and win all these big fights that will be before him after uh, defeating Manny Pacquiao. Yeah, and more to the point, Lance, uh, connecting some dots, Mikey Garcia about a week ago said he was starting training camp and posted a video. Yesterday, Manny Pacquiao tweeted, I'm starting training camp. So I don't know, maybe it's a big coincidence or maybe something is going on there. But look, Mikey Garcia, he's an ultra-talented guy. We've known that for years and he's a guy that I think would be on the pound for pound list if he was more active. Uh, I think he gets, I think he kind of flies under the radar a little bit, Lance. And another guy who flies under the radar, Joe Smith Jr., he's going to join the show right now to discuss that upcoming fight on Saturday on ESPN against Maxime Vlasov, his second shot at a light heavyweight title. Joe, really looking forward to it. I know it's another title challenge for you. And this time you're favored. Uh, what What's different now? Because I thought you were so much improved in that fight against Leader Alvarez. I was so impressed. Yeah, you know, after my loss with Bivol, you know, I went back to the gym and just started working on things that I can improve on. And, you know, I've just been working on movement a little more, just staying more consistent with training and, you know, my boxing. Yeah, I mean, Alider Alvarez is a tough guy. He's proven a lot. Beat Sergey Kovalev, been a top guy for a long time. He was favored to beat you and you just dominated him. And 
I what stood out to me is the book on you has always been that you're kind of a brawler, you're heavy handed. But in this fight, I saw you like bouncing on your toes more instead of being flat footed. I was, you know, I thought you were snapping your jab and you were just a technician in there and you were really just the ring general. I mean, I, I, I mean, thought you were just looked completely different. Yeah, my boxing is it's something I always had. I just, you know, really didn't use it uh, as much as I should. So now, you know, I've just been working just in using my boxing all around, an all around good fighter and to show it more. Yeah, it seems like me, Joe, I mean, I would think that this is probably also contributing to your success. The depth of competition that you faced, you know, it would seem to be a benefit as you have developed. Has that helped you, you know, going fight by fight when you consider the guys that you have fought, including Bernard Hopkins, you know, Jesse Hart, Alita Alvarez, Dimitri Bivol, just being in the ring with those guys, how does that make you a better fighter? Um, I mean, they're all great fighters. They're all world champion class fighters. And, you know, so by being in there with each and every one of them, I learned something and took, you know, took something away from each fight. And, you know, that's how you get better. And that's how you improve by fighting the best. Do you have to take a hard look at your flaws and maybe your weaknesses while you're doing that? And, and if so, what were those and how did you address those? Yeah, definitely. Um, with each fight, you know, I learned something and, you know, like I was just saying, I've just been working on, you know, staying on my toes a little more, being um, more consistent and busy and combinations together rather than just looking for that big punch all the time. Yeah, I mean, the Bivol fight, you know, you you lost most of the rounds, but you you wobbled him pretty good. And I think it was late in the fight. He walked back yeah. to his corner. He did not know where he was. And that was eye-opening to me. I thought, all right, Joe Smith is like, you know, if he got, an, I think if you got another shot at Bivol, it might be different, no? Yeah, definitely. I believe this time around, you know, I'll beat him. You know, just with a little bit of movement and just more consistency, you know, I, could, I think I can get him. You know, I hurt him really bad in that 10th round. And, uh, you know, just a couple more seconds, I would have been the world, new world champ at that time. But, <laughs> you know, it didn't work out that way. And, you know, he is a great, he's a great champion, Bivol. You know, after that, after being hurt as bad as he was, he came out in that 11th and 12th round, you know, very strong and put on a great chill. <laughs> yeah. And Joe, that's really no hyperbole from you. I mean, if you, if, if the round hadn't ended, I think he was definitely going down, if not out. I mean, he yeah, was he badly wobbled. <laughs> I watch the replay of that all the time. I actually saved just that clip in my phone. I don't want to see the rest of it. <laughs> I saved that little clip and I'm like, man, I was that close. And that, you know, that's just motivation in each and every fight I have now. Since. We'll be back right in a minute after we hear from one of our sponsors. Anytime you take a loss, Joe, and I, I maybe this uh, applies not only to inside the boxing ring, but in life, you know, it does sort of humble you and it does maybe raise a little bit of doubt in yourself. Yet you came back from that. And I was thinking about that fight against Jesse Hart, because that seemed to be like a matchup where, you know, top rank really uh, represents or is connected to Jesse Hart. And maybe they want him to win a little bit more. But that was really where you, you know, have taken it to this next level. Um, was it that moment from going from the Bivol loss to the heart fight where you really felt like you were, your game was transcending to an, another level? 
Yeah, definitely. I feel like I've improved a lot. And with that fight, you know, I showed it. And, you know, Jesse Hart, uh, you know, he's another great fighter. I like, I was, I was meant to lose that fight, I believe. But, um, you know, I, I went in there and just did what I do. And I, I got the win. You know, it's interesting you say that. Do you feel, the boxers do feel that way sometimes, that maybe the odds are stacked against them or the game is, you know, supposed to end a certain way? Yeah, sometimes that's how it is. But, uh, you know, this time around, I feel like it's a little different. I feel like I'm meant to win. But, you know, I just I just got to get in there and do it. I got to get in there and, you know, give it my all like I've been and hope to come out on top. Yeah, I mean, you've really had a remarkable journey, Joe. I mean, I remember the Fon Farah fight. He was a big favorite. You knocked him out in one round. Then your next fight, Bernard Hopkins, you know, was a retirement fight. He was a big favorite. And you knocked him out of the ring. <laughs> I was there at uh, the forum, and I think Lance was too. Yeah. And um, that was incredible, obviously. Even though he was 49, Bernard Hopkins was still fighting at a really high level. Yeah, and he, then he the next... He was Go world ahead. champion, <laughs> you know, not long before that. Yeah. I mean, and then your next fight after that, Sullivan Barrera, you, I think you what, you had, you suffered a broken jaw and you fought the entire fight with it. And it just seemed like you had some bad luck there. Yeah, that was just, you know, I went into that fight knowing something was wrong, but, uh, you know, I got past that and, you know, here we are. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I know that people, like maybe a lot of boxing fans don't know Maxime Vlasov, but he's a good fighter and this is a really good fight. Uh, he's a top 10 guy. And he's been fighting a cruiserweight. He lost a cruiserweight title fight to Christoph Glacki. So he's going to be the bigger guy for once. I know you're used to being the bigger guy. But um, is that something you like? Yeah, I don't mind being a smaller guy. I mean, I, I like uh, fighting bigger guys. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we just have to see, you know, just, you know, his style is awkward. But, uh, you know, I, be I believe it's going to be a great fight. What have you seen from his fights that you've watched? Just, you know, he's very busy. He's long, rangy. And, uh, you know, he, he he could be a little hard to get to, to hit at times. But uh, he he does have a lot of he, – he makes a lot of mistakes. He leaves himself open a lot and uh, drops his hands a lot. So the way I punch, I don't think he has the greatest chin. So maybe I could get him out of there. <laughs> Yeah, this is a guy who has a lot of, even though he's from Russia, he has a lot of familiarity in, in fighting in the U.S., so I don't think he's going to be bothered by coming to Las Vegas. Um, but is it just your, the, the the feeling that you have that your skills are rising that is going to carry you uh, through to victory? And what will, uh, what will it feel like for you to be a world champion? I mean, this is what I worked for my whole entire life to become a world champion, so... It's going to be a great feeling. And, you know, it'll be the second time around that is title shot. And I'll win it on my second one. And it'll be a great feeling. I, I can't wait to celebrate and uh, bring the title back to Long Island. We as storytellers, Joe, are always kind of hooked into someone's backstory. And you obviously have one of the uh, best ever, you know, coming from being a construction, a union construction worker, building, you know, many buildings on the East Coast. I know you hail from Long Island. What did that do for you as a boxer? How did that how did that help you as a, a fighter? I know you certainly probably gained some strength from all of that hard work, but was there something yeah. mentally at play as well? Yeah, definitely. You get you know you gotta get up and go to work, so you definitely uh, getting your exercise in. 
But you also get mental toughness by getting up every morning and going to work, especially doing things you don't want to necessarily do. <laughs> yes. You know, after and, uh, you know, by boxing and working with the union and my, you know, my boxing career really led me to be able to open my own company. You know, with my father, we opened a tree, we opened a tree business. So now I, uh, I signed up to do another hard labor job. <laughs> That is tough. I got a couple in my backyard. When you're done with this fight, if you don't mind skipping over from Vegas, uh, I'll I'll pay handsomely. (laughs) I wanted to ask you. um, I mean, you know, one actually one of my favorite movies is Goodwill Hunting, and there's this great scene in the film where Ben Affleck is talking to Matt Damon and basically saying, like, you know, don't give you're you're this close to achieving something in your life with your brain that a lot of us wish we could do. Did you ever have a moment like that with some of your coworkers, or do you think about your coworkers, your former coworkers, when you're out there boxing now, and and just you know using them as motivation that I'm basically doing that, doing this for all of them? Yeah, I mean, if I make it too, you know, a lot of people, it'll give a lot of other people that are working laborers and you know just hardworking people, you know, the, the feeling just to know that you know, you can't accomplish anything if you really work hard at it and uh, be consistent. Yeah, Joe, it's obvious now that you and Arthur Betterbeev are on a collision course. Uh, He's fighting uh, Adam Danes next month. And, you know, you're fighting for the title this, you know, on Saturday. It'll be a unification fight. You guys were actually supposed to fight on the zone. I think it was in what, February of 19, before you ended up fighting Bivol. How big is that fight? I mean, I I think it's one of the best fights you can make in boxing. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be a huge fight. I'm hoping to get past Velasov and uh, have that opportunity to fight uh, him next. But, um, yeah, we were supposed to fight once before, but something happened where he got injured or something. I don't know. The fight was postponed two times on me, and that's why I ended up fighting Bivol. So that actually had some effect on me in the Bivol fight because I was training for – well, three or four months straight because I was expecting to fight at a certain date. So I get to my peak and then have to start all over again because the fight got postponed, uh, you know, a month or two. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the light heavyweight division is stacked right now. You know, obviously there's you, there's Dimitri Bivol, who we've been talking about. There's better beef. Then you have guys like Zerto Ramirez, Marcus Brown, John Pascal, Badu Jack. But when, when yeah. you like really lay it out, who do you think is maybe the unsung hero? Me. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll see. We're going to see who gets to the top. And uh, hopefully I can uh, win this fight and start unifying some belt. No doubt about it, Joe. I mean, I, I was thinking about you and I thought about you before. I did some reporting um, last year about what has happened to the club, the clubs, you know, all the boxing clubs that you, I know you came out of as well. Your uh, manager, Joe DeGuardia has uh, dealt with the the Paramount theater and all that stuff. What's it mean for boxing to, you know, for those clubs to be shuttered during this pandemic. And I know, you know, there's a lot of guys that, you know, uh, that are connected to the fight game that are not able to get the fights that they need right now because of what's going on. Yeah, it's tough right now for, you know, upcoming fighters because there's no there's no shows being put on, you know, because you can't have, you know, crowds anywhere or anything. So 
you know, it's tough. So these guys just got to, you know, stay positive and stay in the gym and work on you know, getting their experience in the gym. But they're not going to get, you know, that real experience of a real fight. So it's tough. I mean, man, Joe, I, I, you know, like I told you, I'm from Long Island too. You're going to be, a, if you're going to be a champ after Saturday, you got to get a homecoming fight, huh? Yeah, man. I definitely would love to fight at the Garden or Nassau Coliseum, something. I, I mean, I, I would love a local fight. I I haven't fought locally in a while. <laughs> I fought at the Barclays Center once, but that was it. Man, well, well, soon enough, you're going to be a big star in Eastern Europe too, huh? All these, you're fighting Vlasov, you fought Bivol. You're gonna be fighting yeah. maybe better beef. Yeah, definitely. They they all they all know who I am. <laughs> and uh, lastly, before we let you go, Joe, you know that Bernard Hopkins fight is always gonna be remembered. I mean, it was a legend's farewell fight, and you knocked him clean out of the ring. I'll never forget it. What is your lasting memory from that night? Uh you know, just it was a great night, man. You know, that was you know that was unexpected, <laughs> but. Uh, you know, I just put on a great show and, um, you know, it, it was great being the first and only person to stop Bernard Hopkins in a fight and not only stopping him, you know, I knocked him out of the ring. I sent him away, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, what were you thinking when you saw him falling out of the ring? I was just like, it's over. I did it. You know, I didn't, I didn't expect him to get up from that and get back in. And it was, uh, you know, I just knew that it was going to jumpstart career. Great stuff. Really appreciate it, Joe. We can't wait to see you against Maxime Vlasov for the light heavyweight title on Saturday on ESPN. And we'll be tuning in. Can't wait. All right, guys. I'll see you guys. Maybe we'll do another interview when I have my belt. You got it, Joe. <laughs> Anytime. Thank you so much again to Joe Smith Jr. for joining the show. And if you're not already, you can follow him on Instagram at JoeSmithJr631. And I got to say, Lance, I really appreciate that Instagram name. 631 is my area code as well for my cell phone. I'm from Long Island, just like Joe Smith. He's from Mastic. I'm from Lindenhurst. So Long Island guy, love to have it. We need more of them in the sport. Let me ask you this, Mike. Being hailing from that area, what does it mean to be a Long Island Island guy? And how do you think that helps Joe Smith as he heads to this fight? Oh, man, that's a tough question. Um, <laughs> 631, it's a big place. You know, it's probably three hours tip to tip. Um, you know, I grew up like 50 minutes or so, an hour from New York city. So, you know, you have the city right there, you go into the city, go out of the city, but when you're on the Island, it's six suburbs, um, sports are really big, tons of sports teams. And I think there's always kind of that little brother, uh, mentality because you have New York city there, right. You know, an hour away, but you're not in the city. You need that, right? You need that to, you need that little push to succeed in life. Don't you? <laughs> You really do. You know, you have to, you have to have that chip on your shoulder. And my big takeaway, Lance, is that I might have to change my Instagram name now to Mike Coppinger 631. You should. <laughs> but like all joking aside, I think it's going to be a great fight on Saturday. And I love a story like Joe Smith Jr. Like you said, if you would have lost to Jesse Hart, who knows where he is? He's a, probably a B-side opponent. Now he's an A-side fighting for a title. And this light heavyweight division, Lance, is fucking stacked. I mean, Joe Smith Jr., Dimitri Bivol. Maxime Vlasov, Badu Jack, Jean Pascal. When you really look at the lay of the division, what are the fights you want to see? Because we know there are a few in the pipeline. Yeah, I mean, I think you got to look at the two existing champions and say, like, I'd love to see Artur Biterbeev and Dmitry Bivol getting the uh, ring against each other at some point. I mean, Biterbeev has improved, has has shown himself, Mike, 
is such a force in in this sport. And like, I can't get enough of watching this guy's fights now. I don't know how you feel about it, but he's just so entertaining to me. Um, you know what he did against Govzdik is uh, was very impressive. Uh, basically retired him, right? And and uh, you know this is a guy who trains alongside George Saint Pierre. He knows some things, some substantial things um, from those sessions, and just a really interesting guy uh, from Russia. That you know when you throw in the the technical skills of Dmitry Bivol, I mean that would be a, the number one fight that I want to see the most. But honestly, Mike, there are so many great fights to to choose from. I mean, I know that there's a possibility that Bivol will would fight uh, the former um, uh, champion Gilberto Ramirez, former su- super middleweight champion, um, who's now back in you know in fighting. That would be an interesting fight. And like you said, when you throw in the veteran presence of John Pascal and Badu Jack, um, a lot of depth to lean on and a lot of good fights to be made. Yeah, for sure. And uh, speaking of Zerto, I heard that Zerto and Marcus Brown are in talks right now for a possible spring fight. So that's a possibility before uh, a potential Zerto-Bival fight. And Bivol is a guy I really want to see more active. You know, he said that he said on many occasions he could fight at 68 or 75. Currently, he's a title holder at 75. But man, this division is stacked, and we're not we're even forgetting the the fight that was supposed to happen that I was really looking forward to the Bektamir Melokruziev fight with Sergey Kovalev. Obviously, Kovalev popped for PEDs. That fight was supposed to happen January 30th, but Golden Boy, I'm told, still owes that fight to Kovalev at two and a half million dollars. So. Maybe we can get Kovalev Melokruziev in the summer. I don't know. But wow. um, that would be a great fight still, even with the PED cloud hanging over it. Oh, absolutely. I think a lot of people would want to see that fight. And I and I think a lot of people would want to see that fight because they want to see Sergey Kovalev uh, finished. And uh, I think, you know, Bektamir is definitely a guy uh, who can do that. This is like the guy's a, a beast, really. Um, we know that Joe Smith Jr. <laughs> calls himself that. But look, there's a lot of beasts in this division, Mike. And uh, so many, so many good fights that that are there for the taking. So I, I hope that that one can go down as well. All right, Lance, let's take a real quick pause here as we hear from one of our sponsors. All right, Lance, now we're going to jump into a new segment, mailbag questions. Uh, you do a mailbag every week, and now we're going to do some of those questions, both from your mailbag and from Twitter on the show. So let's jump right into it. Um, this comes from... At Gibson Boxing One, what are your thoughts on Josh Warrington vacating the IBF belt? Do you think we will see more champions follow suit? Okay, yeah, Mike. I mean, Josh Warrington this weekend is going to be fighting on the zone against Mexico's Mauricio Lara at the Wembley Arena. And I think the the thing that he did in walking away uh, from this mandatory date, uh, you know, and the IBF is, let's be honest, the IBF, it can be hardcore about enforcing its mandatories. You either take the fight or you get stripped. Um, you know, they had some legal ca- uh, battles in the past where they've said, like, we're not going to really be engaging in any shenanigans with our mandatories. We're just going to enforce them if they if they apply. So Warrington had this mandatory against Kid Galahad. He's not that interested in. So now he's taking this fight and he's setting his sights on uh, Zucan and also um, Gary Russell Jr. Look, more power to him. He wants to go after the bigger fights. He's willing to to say that belts don't matter, which we we feel, you know, I would say at least 50% of the uh, population that follows the sport has that opinion. You know, he wants the biggest and best fights possible. If this is uh, the best way to get it, 
then go for it. So, I mean, from that standpoint, I applaud this guy. And I think a lot of people who follow the sport would would be taking this the have the same reaction you know look you want to you want to chase those big fights on the heels of beating lee selby and carl frampton go for it you know what you're a fighter on the rise and um those are the fights that are going to you know uh define your legacy and that's what he's chasing so hurrah okay another question from twitter this is from at gator jones What's your prediction on what will happen with Tufimo's next fight with regards to a purse bid? Would Aram really let PBC or DAZN get the fight? I'll take this one, Lance. So it's a really interesting situation because usually when a fight goes to purse bid, it's because the promoter and the other promoter can't come to an agreement. In this instance, it's top rank fighting with Tufimo Lopez's manager, David McWater, and McWater is the one pushing the fight to purse bid in order to maybe get more money for his guy. Uh, I'm told Tufimo's minimum this was renegotiated before the Lomachenko fight. If he beat Lomachenko, he would get 1.25 for a title defense. And that's what I'm told he was being offered for the George Cambosis fight. Tiafimo and his team not happy with that. And now they're going to go to a purse bid next week. And I think it's going to be potentially an explosive situation, Lance, because look, someone else, Eddie, or PBC can jump in, right, and bid for this fight. And if Top Rank obviously is not willing to spend, they, they have a, a value on the fight. And if, if Eddie wants to try to take away Tiafimo Lopez, he can do that for one fight by bidding a lot. And I texted Eddie yesterday, and he told me that he's absolutely going to bid on that fight. Wow. So I think it could be really interesting because, you know, Top Rank also has an obligation to ESPN, and I'm told ESPN would be none too thrilled with one of their stars fighting on another platform. Now, when I spoke to Bob Arum, he didn't seem to care at all. He said, maybe, you know, Tifimo Lopez fights on another platform and people who weren't familiar with him before that don't really watch ESPN will come over and now watch him on ESPN after the fact. So I think this is a lot of a uh, hardball here and it's kind of a, it's a standoff. I'm going to see who blinks first here, but I don't, I certainly don't think top rank is okay. And ESPN is okay with Tiafimo Lopez fighting on another platform, even if it is in a ho-hum fight against George Cambosis. But, um... Yeah, the Mike, you know can I ask a, is. Yeah, can I ask a side question on that, Mike? Is that, you know, one of the things that I'm seeing reported on this, and I know you're plugged into the situation, so you may be able to uh, provide more light on it. You know, there's speculation that Tiafimo, because this is an IBF matter, that Tiafimo could vacate the IBF belt and then choose to go after Devin Haney. Is there any possibility that that happens? I don't believe so. I haven't heard anything about that. Uh, Tiafimo is undisputed champion with all four belts right now. Yeah. And he wants to keep them all. And he is not interested in vacating. He wants to fight George Cambosis. And while it isn't the greatest fight, Cambosis is deserving. He beat Lee Selby in a mandatory. He's not a bad fighter. He's a top 10 guy. Um, you know, ESPN was looking at June 12th, the Puerto Rican parade uh, in New York for that fight. I was told that the Miami Marlins Stadium was a proposal to top rank that they declined for the wow. fight. Tifimo Lopez is from Miami area. He doesn't have a fan base there. Yeah. Could be a great place to build him. So this is a bad situation right now, and I think we're going to get some clarity. We're going to see. Maybe top rank blinks and we get a deal done before the purse bid. Or maybe they say, maybe they you know they call Tifimo Lopez and his team's bluff, and this goes to the purse bid, and we see if Eddie Hearn jumps in, if PBC jumps in, if they end up bidding the most, but I think it's going to be fascinating. Love the love boxing business. Don't you? <laughs> that, that, I think I feel like it's all we cover anymore. We don't even cover this. <laughs> we just cover the business of boxing. <laughs> I might have to become a business writer in the future. Uh, um, 
Next question. This is from your mailbag, Lance. This is a yes. mailbag question. Do you, do you think boxing fans have a moral obligation to reject fights and fighters that are associated with MTK and Kinahan? Fury Joshua is the biggest fight in the world, but it's been facilitated by a cartel boss, alleged. Then yes. I can't really say I'm all that enthused about watching it. Doesn't help that the likes of Hearn, Warren, and Aram seem entirely apologetic about working with him from yeah. Samuel R. Yeah, Mike, I'll take this one. I mean, you know, look, I mean, I doubt that um, there's a lot of boxing fans uh, feeling that, you know, they have such a mor moral objection to um, uh, Daniel Kennehan that they're not going to uh, watch these fights. But you have absolutely every right. If you, you know, feel like this, this is a man who has not been convicted, who you, you know, believe um, is convicted in your mind, you can absolutely do that. Look, I mean, uh, the BBC report that I saw this last week, um, they did a very uh, good job, you know, looking at, at, at the details connected to uh, Daniel Kinahan. There's no doubt about it that him and Tyson Fury have a close friendship that has existed uh, over the years. Tyson Fury gives this man a lot of credit for, you know, who he's become and the success that he's a, a, a achieved, both, you know, as a fighter and as a as a boxing businessman himself, as have other fighters. I mean, there's a lot. There's a ton of loyalty that is directed toward Daniel Kennehan from fighters. I mean, in the in the report itself, Carl Frampton, who's going to be fighting for a 130 pound belt at the end of the month, said that one of the reasons that he left his management, which was uh, basically the former world champion Barry McGuigan, for Kennehan, was because he didn't have to pay. Uh, any dollars for you know management management percentage at all. So I mean, if you're offering those those kind of deals, I mean, what fighters would not jump at that? And now there was another uh, uh, part of the report that was done where uh, a woman who was in law enforcement um, said that she believes that Kinahan is using the boxing business to launder his reputation. Now that's something that a lot of people are watching. I think we're all watching it as boxing reporters. A lot of people connected to the industry are watching this, but the ultimate people who uh, need to be watching this, and I'm sure are watching this, according to you know the report, is law enforcement. And at this point, they have not acted. We know that Kinahan is uh, in Dubai, uh, not in Ireland. And until law enforcement makes its move and you know files whatever needs to be filed or um, uh, brings him out of Dubai. Um, for some type of pro prosecution, it's very reckless and dangerous um, for any of us to throw such accusations um, at a person. I mean, clearly, you look at the report and you say, like, the, you know, there's some stuff that that um, needs to be vetted and checked out. But I'm sure it's the law enforcement above any of us, any of uh, of us in this in the journalism business who can check that out the best of all. And I'm sure they are doing that. And until all of those uh, reports and that work is done, you know, we, we right now can, uh, we covered a boxing game. We're going to be here covering the boxing game. Clearly MTK global is having a substantial impact on the sport. And as things, as things develop, we will be there to cover it every uh, single step of the way. I assure you. And I'll throw in that I spoke to Bob Aram the other day and I asked him about his dealings with Kinahan. And he said, that he doesn't know what Kinahan has or hasn't done in the past, but that he's been very honorable in his boxing dealings with Aram. And then he went on to say that Don King has, quote, stomped a guy in the head and killed him. Why can't Kinahan be in boxing? So right. Aram Cole for as always. 
Yeah, no doubt about it, Mike. And the last thing on this, I mean, boxing in the 1950s has had had some uh, very dangerous characters around the sport. I was talking to a, a boxing lifer the other day who was saying that um, you know, the 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 pure intimidation and uh physical violence that used to exist in the sport from people who were, you know, behind the scenes, quote unquote, was far more sinister at this point from what they've seen from from Kinahan uh in the sport. Look, we, we everyone knows that this this situation needs to be watched. Uh I can assure all of our readers that we are watching it, observing it, and doing as much work as we can possibly do to um you know continue to check the situation out as it progresses we have one last question lance this is comes from andrew w from your mailbag have you heard anything about deontay wilder's current situation or plans he's gone very quiet at the moment and no word on this hearing regarding the fury contract as much as i don't want him to get in the way of fury joshua he still brings value to the heavyweight division if i were dillian white provided he could be Pavekin, would still generate a lot of interest. Um, yeah, look, Wilder does still bring a lot of value to the heavyweight division, even after the loss. And current situation, I think it's possible he fights Charles Martin next, from what I heard. I can tell you he's not going to fight Fury next. They are still in arbitration. But even if this judge overseeing it rules that Fury needs to fight Wilder, I think it's more likely we'd see damages awarded because Fury is not going to step away. He's going to fight Joshua. And Fury is not interested in the third fight with Wilder after all the inflammatory remarks anyway. He could come around and sue him for for libel if he wanted to. So I think it's a bad situation right now, but Wilder's going to have to figure out who's on his side. I mean, now, if you, if you look at it, maybe he should have taken that deal from the zone, right? It was a four-fight deal for $100 million, I believe. It would have paid him $20 million for two different fights and then 40 for two fights with Joshua, and that was guaranteed money. Now he's in this situation, and I mean, it's too bad because I know you and I, especially uh, you spent time with Wilder in Alabama last year. We always enjoyed our time with Deontay. He was always respectful to us and great to deal with. And it seems like this loss has had a really, really bad effect on him where I really don't like the way he treated Mark Breland, who I think was trying to do the right thing. Um, you know, he, he was really pretty much assassinated Breland's character, Breland finally, months and months, you know, almost a year later, responded uh, this past weekend yeah. saying that, you know, Wilder doesn't bother training, that his career is done. And, I, and then Wilder said, where is all this coming from? I knew Breland <laughs> wasn't on my side. Well, Deontay, you've been attacking Breland for months relentlessly. So, yeah, we do know where it's coming from. So, look, Wilder is still one of the biggest names in the sport. He's still a big time puncher at a heavyweight division. Uh, I would love to see him fight Andy Ruiz. That's the fight I've been pushing for for a long time now. It makes too much sense. Ruiz is supposed to fight Chris Ariola still, although we still have no date on that fight. Maybe you have Wilder fight a Charles Martin type or someone like that, and then you have Ruiz against Ariola. Have Ruiz fight Wilder after that. That's, that's a big fight, Lance. And, oh, yeah. And to the other point of the question, Wilder versus Dillian White, I love that fight too. Wilder Dillian White is an amazing fight. Uh, what do you think, Lance? Look, I mean, I think that everything that we've uh, observed from Deontay Wilder post-loss can be rehabilitated 
and washed away post-victory. And he needs a victory in his next fight. So, look, if it's Charles Martin, that's great. I love, you know, Eddie Hearn's excitement for trying to stage a Dillian White, Deontay Wilder fight. I love it. Sign me up for that fight. Um, but it'll probably, it'll probably be Martin. And, you know, Deontay, just get that confidence back that's going to come from a victory and move on and let all of this negativity of the past uh, be washed away. You know, we know that you're a substantial uh, power puncher, uh, hell of a gentleman, hell of a fighter. And I mean, he, he needs to put his best face forward instead of um, being this this person that he just he just isn't that type of person in the first place. This is a guy who's really um, made so much of his life in, a, in very short order, uh, learning boxing and becoming heavyweight champion of the world. So um, the quicker he can make a fight and the quicker he can win that fight, the better for Deontay Wilder. And that'll do for today, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you all like the new segment with the mailbag. Give Lance and I any feedback on Twitter. We're always open for it. And we look forward to more and more questions coming from you, the listeners. See you next time.